Hi, how are you? You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. There are so many different types of contraceptions out there. If you're anything like me, it can seem like there's just too much information to go along with all these choices. Because I'm not an expert, we have found someone who is. Joining us is Dr. Sneha Wadwani, a GP and mum of two girls. And Sneha is here to take us through the more longer lasting and reversible forms of contraception. Hi, Sneha. How are you? Hi. Good. Thank you. So what types of contraception are medically classed as long-acting and reversible? So there's really three, um, three types. Um, the IUDs, actually there's two types. The IUDs, of which there are two, and the contraceptive implant. So the IUDs include the copper type, which has no hormone in it whatsoever, and the morena, which has a little bit of progesterone in it. And then the implant, which is the rod that goes in, into your arm, usually under the skin, which is also a hormone. And when you say reversible, that just means they take it out and everything is as it once was? Absolutely. These um, contraceptives work on a slow release of hormone if they're using a, a hormone or rely on a mechanical mechanism of stopping pregnancy, such as with the copper IUD. So in in that sense, when we take them out, the either the hormone levels will fall very quickly, usually within the two to three weeks after having had it removed, or you're removing the mechanical device, such as with the copper IUD, which makes them far more reversible than, say, taking the contraceptive pill. And they're both considered long-acting. Yes, so the copper IUD, you can get a five-year version and a 10-year version, and the Mirena is also five years, and the implant is three years, so very long-lasting. And I might add, also quite cost-effective, certainly with the Mirena and the implant. These are available on the PBS, so you pay a flat rate of sort of $38 for those products. Obviously, there's fitting charges and, and what have you, but if you, you know, calculate that over five years or three years, it often comes out far cheaper than taking um, a more immediate release or shorter acting contraceptive. So some people might be a little bit freaked out about the idea of having this in their body for such a long period of time. Um, what's involved? Like, how, firstly, how does it get put in and why does your body not reject it? Yeah. So we probably should start with the implant um, because that's the less um, challenging of the two <laughs> yes. uh, to insert. So the implant is essentially a plastic device made out of a PVC type of plastic that's non-biodegradable. So it sits under the skin and doesn't really move anywhere. Um, it has a core of a special type of progesterone hormone and a, and a sheath around that core which is permeable but with a very slow release mechanism and by that means the hormone leaks out into the bloodstream and is absorbed through the blood vessels under the skin in a very slow and controlled manner. Now generally speaking I've never seen a case of it being rejected. Some people do notice a bit of irritation in the skin perhaps just after they've had it inserted maybe for a few days but that usually settles down quite quickly and like I said it's a non-biodegradable plastic. It 
it doesn't really interact with anything. So to insert this device, um, your GP has to have some training to have to be able to put it in and we choose an arm that is usually your non-dominant arm just because you don't want to be showing showing it off um, generally the implant isn't seen but if you poke it you can feel it under the skin and it sits just where your biceps are really in a little groove there on the inside of your arm so it's generally not visible with whatever clothing you're wearing um, we inject a bit of local anesthetic under the skin and that's really the stingy bit that's the painful bit and then within a few seconds really the area is numb and we insert the implant through a wide uh, hold needle so it is a big needle which is why we use the anaesthetic <laughs> um, and it comes in its own special device that releases the implant and we can do that just under the skin release the device and then remove the needle the puncture wound is really quite small um, and so often doesn't need like a surgical closure with with sutures or stitches or anything like that often just some steri strips or even a dressing is enough um, so you wear the dressing for a couple of days there will usually be quite significant bruising afterwards just because under the skin there's a lot of tiny blood vessels that get popped as we put the implant in uh, but beyond that really the implant is in and there's very very rarely complications locally at the site of insertion. And how about the Mirena? Is that something that your GP can put in as well? Yeah, so there aren't that many GPs that do it. And I think this is one of the reasons it's a less popular uh, mechanism of contraception compared to, let's say, in Europe and England, where it's incredibly popular. Um, so again, you need your GP needs training to do it. And this is, these are devices that go up inside the uterus. So I often describe it to my ladies as a procedure that's a bit like having a pap smear with a really bad period pain. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. That sounds terrible. Um, but the good thing with it is it takes 10 to 15 minutes to put in. And then you've got five years of contraceptive protection. So really, it's a small can be a small price to pay, I guess, depending on how you look at it. Um, so the procedure involves, I guess, the prep is a bit like you having a pap smear. So your GP would clean down there for you, insert a speculum just like you have with a pap smear, and then um, do the procedure through the cervix. Now, this involves, you know, using some equipment to do this, and that can be quite uncomfortable. Um, I personally advise all my ladies to take some simple pain control before they come to have it fitted, um, like Panadol and a bit of ibuprofen, um, and perhaps um, have something to eat and drink as well so they don't feel faint during the procedure. Um, so we use a system of instruments to first measure the length of the womb so we know we're putting it in the right place and then we introduce the device which comes in its own pre-filled sterile long inserter and um, yeah when you're having it inserted it feels like a bad period pain but it lasts a, f a couple of minutes and then really it's gone for the few days afterwards you can have a, a little bit of a bleed um, not dissimilar to a period type of bleed um, and some cramping just as your uterus gets used to this foreign body that's inside there that it's not used to um, but once that's settled down usually the bleeding will decline some women don't bleed again 
Um, so a lot of women who have the Mirena inserted um, can have no periods in about 70% of cases and the remaining will tend to have much lighter periods. For those women who have heavy periods before the insertion, it can take a while for the bleeding to settle down, so maybe up to four months. And they can have some spotting during that time that starts off a bit heavier post-insertion and then peters out slowly. But So we do need to give it time to, to settle down. And the reason for that is the Mirena is the one with the hormone. So as well as acting as a mechanical device to kind of block the fallopian tubes and do all the other things that the IUD does, it also thins out the lining of the womb and makes that lining inhospitable to an embryo that might want to implant. Equally, the progesterone will also thicken the mucus on the cervix so the sperm can't swim through it. So it's a pretty clever device. It blocks the tubes. It does those two hormonal effects we've just discussed, and it also has a tiny bit of copper in it which kills sperm as well so it really works in four ways which makes it pretty effective and how would if someone was looking at both of these options how do you make the decision like how do you guide your women to choose either the Mirena or the implant or or the IUD yeah so the IUD is obviously just a non-hormonal um alternative to the Mirena Um, and I guess that plays a part as well so some women vehemently feel they don't want any hormones in their system and that might push them towards the copper IUD because with that of course there are no hormones it's acting purely on a mechanical level and the copper in the device is also killing sperm so that might be their choice because they don't want to take any hormones however with the copper IUD you need to be aware that it can cause slightly heavier bleeding Um, it tends to be regular but can be a bit heavier Um, so that might be one factor that guides you Um, other factors might be you know whether you've had children or not Um, you know some of our younger ladies who haven't even had pap smears yet or haven't started having sex yet you know may want to use the implant as a preferred option before they start being sexually active Uh, and equally with you know women for example who just don't like the idea of having something inserted in the uterus for them it's more appealing for the implant to go in the arm the other thing that is a factor is whether or not your periods are heavy you know if you've got heavy periods already then the Mirena could be a great option for you because it would kill two birds with one stone equally with the Mirena the hormone really is just released locally inside the uterus less than two percent of that hormone gets into the bloodstream so if you feel like you're quite sensitive to hormone but you've got heavy periods you might want the benefit of the Mirena to control the bleeding but without the systemic effects of hormone going around your body So there could be lots of reasons that you would make that choice. Uh, But really talking to your doctor um, and to help you navigate those choices is is the best thing. Um, You mentioned that with the Mirena, there can be spotting after you've had it inserted. What are the other side effects that might be associated with the Mirena and the IUD and the insert? Yeah, so with the Mirena and the IUD, um, the copper IUD, there's, the side effect profile is really quite low because you've either got no hormone or incredibly small amounts of hormone getting into the blood, 
bloodstream. And therefore, the side effect profile tends to be low. So with the copper IUD, it's generally heavy, painful periods. With the Mirena, it tends to be, like we said, spotting uh, initially to start with, and then very sparse periods that may be irregular. And that can be a problem for some women because they don't know when they're going to get it. There are the few women who do have, um, you know, difficult bleeding with either the copper or the Mirena. Um, So falling into a very small uh, proportion of people who have side effects. Um, With both the IUDs, there are risks associated with insertion as well, and those need to be borne in mind. So um, those can be infection and expulsion. So expulsion meaning the uterus just doesn't like it and pushes it out. Um, and even perforation of the uterus. So sometimes this can happen during the procedure. It's rare that that would happen, less than one in a thousand, let's say, um, for that. But sometimes, rather like a splinter under the skin, the body can try and work this foreign body out of the organ that it's in. And so sometimes we find that the Mirena or the IUD can be pushed out through the top of the womb and lying in the pelvic cavity. And that can be quite serious. Um, In most cases, it's a case of, you know, having a procedure like a laparoscopy to remove the device, which, yes, sounds big, but it's rare for it to happen in the first place. Um, And sometimes if, you know, it's the device is left in the pelvic or abdominal cavity without being checked on then you know that can cause damage to other organs but like I say this is incredibly rare and the majority of cases go ahead well without any problems. And so does the implant have any side effects? So the implant's side effects largely are to do with the fact that it is a hormone that's going around your body. So probably the most common side effect with the implant is dysfunctional bleeding. And what we mean by that is unscheduled bleeding. So about um, one in five women would have quite difficult um, times with the implant and that could be through you know irregular bleeding up to one in three will have what we call dysfunctional bleeding so a bit all over the place Um, some will have regular bleeding and some will have none at all but then you've also got to add into that the progesterone side effects that we can experience with other contraceptives such as with the pill um, or the injection even Um, and those might be moodiness bloating weight gain through usually appetite changes um, rather than as a primary you know result of having a hormone so yeah the the implant is possibly slightly more likely to cause those side effects but again that has to be balanced up with you know what sort of mechanism you want your contraception to be delivered with so and out of the IUD the Mirena and the implant Is there any of the three that is most effective in terms of contraception? So actually the implant is probably the most uh, effective out of all of them, um, largely because it isn't subject to falling out and all the rest of it. Um, Once it's in, it's pretty much in. It's not going to go anywhere. Um, The only documented cases of failure of the implant were actually found to be because the lady was pregnant before insertion. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Or the implant was fitted by a doctor who hadn't been trained well and the implant actually hadn't been inserted at all. So, So in terms of contraceptive cover, the implant is probably 
pretty up there with as one of the best. But um, like I say, that has to be balanced with, you know, are you prepared to have some unscheduled bleeding? There are, of course, ways to get around that. So we can, as doctors, GPs, work with that to make the symptoms more manageable. And certainly I see a lot of young ladies who like the implant because they don't have to worry about taking a pill. They don't have to worry about it interacting with antibiotics or when they've got diarrhea and vomiting and that sort of thing um, so they like the way it works but they don't like the bleeding and we can we work with that in different ways and make it a bit more manageable for them all right well there you go there's a lot to think about there sneha thanks for coming in thank you that was dr sneha wadwani in the next episode of feed play love Dr. Jennifer Cohen is chatting about ways you can avoid a fussy eater. About 50% of kids will become fussy at some stage in their life. And this fussiness will probably start around anywhere from 10 to 12 months of age, anywhere up to 18 months, two years. And for most kids, it's around that 18 months mark that they start getting fussy. Here's strategies that will help you avoid challenges when your baby is older. This podcast is produced by Elise Cooper. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you'll join me for the next episode of Feed, Play, Love.